Think of how much you learned through play. Think of how better you are now at just about anything. And think about how bad you were when you started. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. War gaming for the corporate and executive security professional sounds a little bit like a play on words, really, doesn't it? I'm here with John Moss, and today we're going to be talking to Nick Drage, a professional war gamer, about whether or not this is applicable not just to business, but our industry. Uh, John, uh, what does this conjure up for you? Because for me, it, it, it smacks of Dungeons and Dragons and 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 you know basement games. Uh, surely, surely there's more to it than that. Okay, so when I first saw that this was the topic of the podcast, that's exactly what I thought. I I, I thought. Dungeons and Dragons. I thought guys sat around big tabletops uh, pushing models around. And then obviously I knew that wasn't going to be the focus of the podcast. So, okay, think about it a little bit more deeply. And yeah, it, 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 there was echoes coming back from my time in the military. And I know you've done this interview with Sean and, and I'm suspecting that Sean will have probably had a very similar um, train of thought as well. You know, we, we sort of not not so much tabletop yet yes perhaps if you're an officer but for the guys on the ground we do a lot of training where the expectation is that you will be thrown into situations where you might not come out of it smelling of roses and you know that's that's one of the hardest parts of it actually that you then sit around in these uh debriefs afterwards and pull apart everything that went wrong and, and and i'm getting a sense of that that is what the focus of this is it is indeed and it's it's a safer or a safe space to fail or to you know uh, look at look at interesting scenarios um ranging from the likely to the very unlikely black swan type scenarios um and and and, and it's a comfortable environment where you're going to be able to make a mistake but again, you know, you're, you're right. There is that level of, well, people will pull you up on things you haven't done. So is it for the entire team? Is it just for the operational staff? Is it a management uh, exercise? And I, and I think we'll find that, in fact, it's, it's all of those things. And, and another thing that Nick is uh, part of, PlaySecure, uh, which our friend uh, James Bohr, if you if you remember, James uh, did our one of our first podcasts, um, trying to emphasize that play or gamified learning is not only more productive for the learning process, but also it gives that freedom to fail. What, why do you think people aren't doing more of this? Because we're not comfortable failing. You know, certainly in our industry, if you're failing on the job, there's a good chance that you won't work again. Well, first of all, you know, you, you fail once and depending on the size of it, you know, it, it could result in you not working for that client again. If, if you fail again or if the failure is bigger, you might not even work in the industry again. 
it's it's literally that uh, cutthroat. And you you know there's there's two sides to that. I suppose if if you want to say the good side of it is it causes everybody to be on their A game all of the time. But on on the flip of that, it creates a lot of pressure and it makes the conditions that we operate in a lot more stressful and pressurized and more likely that people will fail. No, that's a, that's a great point. And, and, and then, and then I guess not just why is it not done, but when we see offerings of, you know, training out there, maybe, and this is just extrapolating from the topic, maybe it's more difficult to set up a wargaming exercise than it is a PowerPoint presentation. So, Maybe we don't see enough of it because it's more complicated. It requires much more forethought. And, and maybe it's something that you can do internally as opposed to having to go externally. I, I don't know. Um, what, 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 uh, what do you think the military did well in that respect? Because I think there's lots of lessons to be learned. Yeah. So there's, there's a few big differences with the military, and it's kind of going back to my, my last comments. One of them is, for the most part, you don't really need to fear about being sacked. You know, you, you can fail in the military and it's only remembered as long as it takes for the next person to fail. And, uh, and, and kind of that's how it works. And, and you know, I, ironically, I feel like when you're in the military and you're working under those kind of conditions, you grow stronger because of that, because of this culture of acceptance that it's okay to fail. And I don't know why it is that we haven't carried that better into the commercial world, except for, like I said, you know, people's livelihoods rest on it. And in the commercial world, also, you know, teams are smaller, right, right down to solo operators. But as I say that, it, it makes me think that in a sense, we do kind of do this wargaming. We might not even realize we do it, but, you know, it's, it's called an after ops debrief, you know, where we'll sit around and yeah, I know th this is slightly different because we're talking about something afterwards rather than for uh, a situation that may never even happen. Um, and whereas we're talking very specifically about a set of circumstances, but it is better than nothing. And I do think there's echoes of the war game in principle. So it would seem that that would be a logical next step. And, and I think um, to, to think about, well, where does the responsibility lie? I mean, it rests on all of our shoulders, but ultimately, you know, you want somebody who is in a position to take control, take command, and also perhaps has a budget as well if we're bringing in somebody from outside. Indeed, it, it, it often comes down to budget, doesn't it? But as I'm sure we will find out from Nick, you can do it on a budget and it doesn't have to be all bells and whistles. It could just be something tabletop uh, based and maybe not those little metal figurines that we imagine uh, people uh, playing with. Uh, nothing, nothing wrong with that. I, 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 I love a, a bit of uh, you know, gaming, but, uh, but yes, it's perhaps something that corporations and you know, businesses need to uh, appreciate more than, than, than feeling it's just a, another playtime. So Nick Drage, great friend of the industry, at least on the cyber side, he's had his eyes on the EP community for a while. He has attended a bunch of our events, so it's not without context. 
that he is explaining to us what wargaming could do to benefit our industry. Very much looking forward to this. Sean and myself with Nick Drage. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Wargaming and its applicability in the business and security environment. Today, we are here with Nick Drager, a director at Path Dependence and Play Secure, which is a, a, another initiative. Um, it, it's a pleasure to have you on. We're, we're really excited about this topic. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. So, so Nick, let's just get to it because automatically when we hear wargaming, we assume absolutely it is in the wheelhouse of security. We heard the word war. We remember that lots of colleagues used to be in the military and they must have done some wargaming. So what problem is wargaming actually trying to solve anyway? Uh, wargaming is trying to solve the problem of not being prepared for the situations you encounter. The there's 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 so many problems wargaming is trying to solve in so many different ways, but I will endeavour to keep it short and digestible. In the I mean, same especially in the world of executive protection, you're you wouldn't dream of reading a book on how to do it and then you go out and protect an asset. You actually want to go through that. However, to actually, but also imagine that then that you only do real world training and that you therefore, what, you actually get shot at or you're driving up and down, especially purpose-built area day in, day out, just to learn the basics. There's a, there's a halfway between that and wargaming is the way to do that, to either through a discussion or, or an organized discussion or even a board game, play through a scenario, try out different things and especially be in a safe to fail environment. The thing you want during training and during a war game is for your participants to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes so that when it comes to a real uh, context, a real scenario, They've already been through it anywhere between sort of five and 500 times to the extent that they then react automatically. That's what a that's what a war game is and war game meant in the widest sense. It could be uh, training. It could be an immersive exercise. It could be scenario planning. It could just be sitting around a table talking through a situation. The um, the the problem with the term is that people imagine you're pushing metal figures around a table, reenacting the Battle of Waterloo or something, when actually it covers a wide, a wide range of different immersive interactive exercises to help you perform better when these situations happen in real life. Wow, and, and I, love, I love what you said, you know, scenarios that are five to 500 variables, you know, that's that seems uh, the uh, you know quite quite a complex uh, thing to arrange. Uh, what about you, Nick? Let, let's tell people a little bit about yourself. You know, where does your passion for this area actually come from? Um, because I, by accident, kind of kind of by accident, kind of because my father uh, helped run an adult education centre where some professional war gamers basically get together every weekend. 
and he said to me, oh, you're like these people, they're a bit weird, and they're playing these weird games that they've mostly made themselves. You should come along and meet them. So I went along, and I was just astounded at professional wargaming, proper consideration of military or business situations, extrapolating from those situations, seeing what the consequences were, playing around with ideas, rather, and it completely opened my eyes, rather than games for fun, or rather than sort of very um, formulaic training. For example, the difference between being on a, thinking of the context you're working in, the difference between being on a firing range and actually operating a weapon under fire are two different things. In the same way, the difference between training and wargaming to me just open my eyes and as you can tell by sort of the tone of my voice and the length of my answers my enthusiasm for it has just grown ever since because you can become so confident in a situation you almost become detached you see people who say run through cyber security instant response so often that when it actually happens they're almost bored because they've got that level of learning where they know exactly who to contact what this is and they just step through the process. That's why I'm so excited about it. You want people in those in situations that difficult to be that competent. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Bring it to life and and, and get you know competence before it's uh, it, it matters. Um, I suppose. Uh, just briefly, then, and, and then and then I'll hand over to Sean. Um, what do you want, or would you like the uninitiated in this topic to better know? And Actually, by that, I'm thinking of quite a lot of security professionals. Maybe they already know about uh, wargaming, but, 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 but maybe they don't call it that. So what should they actually know? Oh, that's a damn good question. Um, I'd, I wouldn't say I want them to know anything. I would say I want them to have the mindset of give it a chance. Think about the younger, maybe much younger people you know and think of your own history. Think of how much you learned through play. Think of how better you are now at, I mean, just about anything. And think about how bad you were when you started. Anything from uh, the work you do to creative pursuits like uh, being an artist to, say, playing sport. And it's just through playing through experimentation that you have just got better and better and failed and got back up and learn and so on bring that kind of attitude to this very wide and very variably defined area of wargaming and see how it can uh, benefit you yeah i think i think i agree with everything you said there nick i think having an open mind to these things is fantastic i know during my time in the military we used to use uh, as a young soldier before we used to embark on trips to see for instance northern ireland They'd have a system which was, I can't remember the name, I think it was called Small Arms Trainer, which had a big wide screen. You would stand in front with your SA-80 and you would patrol the streets. An incident would happen. And, you know, through that incident, a number of scenarios would could spin off that, depending on how you dealt with the scenario. You know, you may completely de-escalate it or you may end up opening fire. And then immediately, once the situation came to an end, you would get pulled to one side and you would get interviewed and grilled by the then RUC police officers. And they would ask you what happened? What did you do in this scenario? Why did you open fire? 
and you'd be getting grilled in front of you know a lot of people and you you know you let's see what was this person wearing you may say you had a purple t-shirt black jeans blah 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 this happened and then everyone else is watching they can see it on the screen what this person was actually wearing and you and you can see after you're getting interviewed you can see the pressure the individuals come under and then they'll play the video back of what, what actually happened and you can see where your rounds landed um and you know it, it just puts you in the scenario which like you described if you haven't been through a scenario you don't know how you're going to react but once you've done it you know five ten times you're a lot more confident you have the ability to think it, you lose that rabbit in the headlights uh scenario yeah, one, once you've run through it which, which i think is great that's um just to bounce off that that's brilliant and horrible like northern ireland for what i know of that situation from being british in a certain age is just an awful situation for everyone to be in so to think what what you want is the situation you described people make mistakes and you replay those mistakes back to them is exactly the the kind of training you want and then i mean for a war game what i would describe as a war game would be on a much larger level like the manipulation of squads around the streets and so on but you can see you can see the mistakes and especially because it reminds me of a war game i was once in getting the the interview afterwards and replaying things to you is a very necessary and horrible thing to do to players usually playing war games like especially in a kind of semi-hobby semi-professional mm -hmm. context you just kind of take your actions and you commit soldiers to a situation and whatever but then we had a situation where the the some players then started playing members of the media and interviewed us afterwards and said basically well why did you do this why did you think that was a terrorist vehicle why did you attack that and to have your decisions questioned in that way for a war game was like a wonderful and terrible surprise especially sat in front of the rest of the players but also in the situation you describe really brings home those lessons and makes makes them make su such an impact to the participants which is so much more effective to them than just being on a firing range and say hit this target not that target yeah i mean it's it's it, it's fantastic training it, it, you know it's low risk you know, better than learning on the job. It's low risk because you've run through these scenarios. It, you know, it's, it's highly effective and it helps individuals better understand their roles and how they're to you know, react when something happens. And in some of the scenarios as well, you know, maybe the team leader gets taken out and then the young soldiers have to step up into that role. So, it, you know, you're always kind of learning a level up of people in front of you. So it's, you know, it's, it's great, highly effective training. I'm just interested to know how has it became wargaming became a feature of the business environment? I think partly military people moving into uh, civilian areas and realizing, well, this was a benefit to us in these kind of situations. Therefore, there's other business situations. For example, something that doesn't feel appropriate for a war game, as in a, you're considering a merger with another company you usually people just get together have a big meeting sort of and probably a typical loudest person or highest paid person wins kind of meeting then they'll decide whether to do it or not 
and then they'll actually see whether it was a good idea just in the actual progress of did that merger work did their billion dollar companies succeed or fail i think people with a military background in that situation thought well why not play this through why not uh, first of all sit together and sort of just talk through the conversation talk through in a conversational way what step would happen then what do we do then what issues do we face what do you have from your experience and a kind of what's known as like a free creek spiel style but then you can bring in more complex rules around that and also as in many situations in business bring in uh, competitors and adversaries and suppliers and people role play in those positions so suddenly a merger that looked really good looks great unless you think of that well amazon are going to see this is a good idea and they move so much faster and they've got so many more resources if we do this they will then do that and in three months they'll have reached their objective and it's going to take us nine when this isn't going to help us if we consider the wider context getting businesses to be able to think that through i think is why wargaming has has kind of taken off but also it hasn't because it feels like playing, which is, uh, for some reason, adults are afraid of being seen to think around as, uh, scenarios through play. It's seen as too military and therefore too rigid, whereas, you know, being ex-services, the military isn't the way it's perceived by uh, civilians as sort of a bunch of drones being led by one person. Uh, drones as in mentally rather than literally. And also, um, it's kind of seen as sort of pushing figures around a table or something fun you do at a weekend, especially by nerds, when actually get professionals together, think through a situation in a structured way, you can make much better decisions than you than you could just by sort of, like I say, having the real part of the reason I'm so enthusiastic about this is I get frustrated by those conversations I hear about where the loudest or highest paid person just had a dis had the thought in their head on the golf course, made the decision, and now the company's in a terrible position because nobody thought through or planned or war-gamed the results of their decision. Yeah, I think for a lot of these bigger companies and organisations, really it should be looked at as you know an essential part of business continuity planning, I guess. But stepping away from that anyway, just... I'm thinking back to my time before I left the military as well, some training that I thought was really valuable. When people are leaving, you know, you've, you've been uh, almost, if you spent a long time in the military, you can become institutionalised. And it's, it takes a lot of preparation for a soldier to leave the army and embark on a new career path. And I remember one of the things we'd done, I think it was, it was called the Career Transition Partnership, where they brought in professionals and you would go through the motions of applying for a job and they would interview you the interview would be recorded be on video they'd ask you the questions you'd, you'd run through the interview in real time and they would throw you some some questions which may throw you off um, you may think you've done great and then when you watch back the interview you'll see maybe you've got a tick or you keep you know you keep touching your face or you know you're tapping your feet and you don't realize these things until you've actually we didn't call it war gaming, but until you play yeah. these scenarios out, that's that that's kind of the same thing. I mean, again, that's that's even worse because that's role playing, and role playing is nerds sat around playing D and D when actually it turns out a lot of us are far more nerdy than we expected. And also, 
just the amount you can learn from role playing in general, both those games. And in that specific situation, as I mean, as discussed, you wouldn't want someone leaving the services to fail their first 10 interviews, but learn a lot. You'd want them to go through 10 role-playing exercises, make all their mistakes, especially in front of a video, in front of trainers, and then nail the first interview they get because it's actually the 11th interview they've had. That's, and yeah, that's, that's just another example of this kind of exercise being so useful to people. If, like I say, you just be a little bit more open-minded, experiment with the format, see what you can get out of it. Yeah. When you're talking different, different formats, um, how does wargaming differ from, say, you know, desktop planning where you move, where you are moving pieces around a table, or you know, go back to the military again? Things if you are going on an exercise and you are planning, say, a company attack, you would build a model of the area you are going to carry out that attack, and you'd you'd move the pieces about, you'd give your orders so everybody knew what they were doing. So, is there a difference in tabletop planning to Yes, it's a computerized wargaming and running through these scenarios. Oh, I was going to say, the, to be much shorter than my previous answers, in answer to your question, is there a difference? The answer is no. Like that... Different um, formats. That can, yeah, I mean, the, the term covers so much, but that kind of course of action planning, I mean, I, there's the three types, isn't there? There's CRA or there's... Uh, red team and in the middle there's rock drills mm-hmm. for um, most of business wargaming I think comes under that course of action planning like well this is what we intend to do let's move figures around I mean you could be uh, in the same kind of situation except you've got your organization chart laid out and you've got resources small I mean just use some wooden counters representing money or people or administrative effort and you move them around and you see what difference that makes to how you think the organization is going to develop. And also, I mean, as you would have had in the services, you get used to having limited resources. Companies often think they can achieve so much, but they don't um, appreciate the limited resources they've got and the operational effort just to assign those resources correctly. So they come up with grand plans and then realize that just, I mean, without the context of adversaries, without the context of competitors, they realize they don't have as many resources as they thought they had, or they do, but they don't have the operational ability to move those resources around correctly. Mm-hmm. It's be interesting you, when you're talking about limited resources as, as an organization or a security team, I could you know run exercises for my security teams, you know, penetration testing at various sites. You know where we get someone to you know, break into the site, and then you, without informing the security team and just watching their actions on, and how people have dealt with it. Or you, you know, you could have different scenarios where the principal has attacked, and watch how the different guys interact. And there's different scenarios, but that would be me running these tests for my teams. There's, I think there's a lot of value as well in bringing in professionals. So, because sometimes you you think you look at your team, you're, you're so heavily involved in invested in it. I'm guessing you you're from yeah. that space, so there'd be a lot. It's fine sitting around the table and talking through things yourself with your team, and then doing training. But I think the value of that, as when you got so much, 
and you benefit more yeah, by bringing absolutely. in an external expert. Just any external viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, like the same way if you do that kind of testing, you can look around a building and say it looks secure. Then you can have one of your employees with that kind of mindset actually look around the building. And it's like, um, I mean, I use various terms. Sometimes I sort of call it maliciousness as a service. It's like for your benefit and with a friendly approach, I'm going to make your life as difficult as possible. I'm going to expose all your mistakes and then I'm going to write a report afterwards of all the mistakes you made. But the reason to do that is to help you uh, prevent genuine attackers exploiting those issues. In the same way that you do that as a security testing organization, um, part of the requirement for me as a professional wargamer is that when we say step through a war game and the organization says, well, yeah, we just call them or we just grab that resource is to think about those assumptions and say, well, actually, how would that work? How much, how long does that take? How long has that taken in practice? So that way, the, um, that way, the, the, the customer actually has someone step back and say, are you sure this process always works that way? I can see issues with their process in advance rather than when an incident actually occurs. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any uptake in services since the pandemic started? I mean, as companies have business continuity plans and you know, you, you'll have all of these scenarios thrown in. And if someone had thrown in a scenario, what would you do during, if we had a global pandemic in the next year, most people would just pay at lip service and think, yeah, that, that, that's never going to happen. But now I guess things are looked at differently because it has happened. I'm just wondering, do do you find businesses take uh, war gaming, scenario planning, business con continuity more serious now? Have you had more calls for services? The, the, yeah, it's, it's getting that way. And I think my answer would be that the sensible ones do. The ones that... I mean, some organizations are quite understandably focused on just getting through day by day. And you can understand why they've got that short term view. But the uh, better prepared organizations are actually planning farther and farther ahead. So they can um, they can um, they can I don't know how to put it. So they can. It, 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 the reason I'm still over always is it sounds bad, but they can take advantage of the pandemic. Because in this kind of situation, uh, people rethink a lot of ideas they're taken for granted. For example, there's something, I think it's being called like the great epiphany, mm -hmm. in that a lot of people are looking at their careers and suddenly going, do I want to commute four hours a day every day? Do I want to do this job for another 20 years? And are choosing a lot of different plans and ideas and approaches to their career in the same way organizations have looked around and gone, well, we can't change. Everybody always comes to these offices and our teams are always located this way. Our shifts always operate in this way. The pandemic has messed all that up and they've had an opportunity to rethink the way they work as an organization. So they've been forced to think more experimentally. So now they're thinking, well, right, exercises, war games, let's experiment more, let's see what else we can do to make our organization better because we've been given this opportunity, whether we wanted it or not, to rethink our processes. So there's been a slight increase, but also a lot of organizations are understandably, but regrettably sort of focused on getting th through uh, the these issues day by day. Yeah, I, th I think organizations, when they 
embark on this sort of training, they have to keep an open mind and to get the real benefits. I think you have to have right from the top down to the bottom involved in these war gaming scenarios. I think you know if, if you're a team leader and you're just booking it for your staff, it's it's kind of almost taking the easy way out. I think you need to be there with your, wow. your ground troops so you can. Oh. You can be tested, maybe alongside them, and maybe it's done in different. You know, you, you have your scenario training for your, we'll, we'll call them ground troops. You have your scenario training for your your management level, and then you some scenario training for your senior management level. But then I think so. There's it doesn't cause the embarrassment when you're all thrown together. Exactly. So, so I think yes. there's benefit of breaking it down into chunks between the different levels. And then you come together at the end and you have, say, the final exercise, whatever that may be. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, because wargaming is always described as a safe-to-fail yes. environment, whereas I would describe it as a safer-to-fail, or maybe a less dangerous-to-fail. Mm. Because still, if you're in charge of that organisation and you make a mistake, you will have visibly made a mistake in front of everyone you're in charge yes. of. Now they should be open-minded and understand, well, this is, this is where we experiment. This is where we play. Um, but still they may have an issue um, with that in, in sort of being kind of exposed publicly. So how quite how you do that and quite how you sell it to an organization can, can be. Yeah. Different. I mean, yeah, I was just, I was just going to say that. Yeah. It, it can't be a negative experience because if it's a negative experience, then the company won't want to, embark on that training again so i think you've got to make it as positive mm. as you can where everybody can learn and it's not it's not embarrassing it's it's a learning process and if this you know, incident you haven't dealt with it correctly you've been shown maybe you could have thought about it in this this way or you could have done that and there's no embarrassment of individuals carrying out the training i had an anecdote that i thought would be perfect to share on this, um, some people in the EP industry know Bob Shaw, um, big you know, big friend of the industry, longtime friend, but also a, a counter IED specialist. He very kindly uh, came with me uh, to a conference I did for the Nigerian Army, and we were doing an after event specialist desktop workshop on counter IED dedicated for the counter IED specialists and armored vehicle specialists. And a uh, major general said, No everyone will participate i said no this is not for uh flag officers this is for specialists and i really really tried to ensure that they did not participate but in the end he got his way and guess what they were not happy to reveal their thinking process in front of subordinates uh, just as i had predicted um so 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 anyway it's it's a tangent but it's my little anecdote that i thought i'd slot in no absolutely spot on plus I mean, IED training, I would imagine, is very clear, very clear processes and very clear win conditions. So if you fail, it's very obvious you fail rather than you can argue, well, you can understand why I made that decision. It's like, no, you you have died and you have killed those around you. No, that's that's a great example. I shall be uh, citing that in future is just do you want to look like this in front of your, like you said, Sean, ground troops? Uh, if the answer is no, leave them alone, let them try. And also let them play 
and make mistakes without a senior officer or senior member of the management team seeing them it it, it works both ways so like you said sean doing it at different levels is, is the way to go yeah because you can play out the scenarios with your management level you can play out different scenarios with your your, your ground troops as we call them and then you know you can make everyone aware you know come next week we are going to have a organization-wide exercise or team-wide exercise where we'll all be together and it's nothing to worry about it's scenarios we've all spoken about we've all mm. been through them and you know it makes people up their game you know because people will want to stand out and look good if you are a manager i think yeah or a point. team leader you want to be able to lead but you won't be as, as we mentioned the rabbit in the headlights um scenario if you've played it through the previous week you'll have a bit more confidence in dealing with the situation as opposed to being thrown on you in front of everyone without any prior preparation and planning yeah so, absolutely so, so nick obviously i'm very pleased that you're here obviously i love this cross-pollination because the world of wargaming the world of ep i mean it seems like a natural fit you specifically of course you're you're a great uh, guy and you know it's great to work with you but you're you have a soft spot for ep at least from being an outside observer um you you've been at least uh you know looking in on some of the ep conferences and and, and i thought that might be a nice way to sort of round it all back to our circuit magazine audience um what have you observed um about our ep community from from the outside oh, um and 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 and, and how is wargame going to be beneficial to them i thought i thought that that'd be a nice angle i think for EP professionals, for me, first of all, I've been impressed and surprised at the level of professionalism, which I think shows that my information is from movies and TV rather than sort of have any um, and um, like people stopping me getting into clubs because I'm too scruffy is basically my interaction with that sort of community. So seeing the level of thought, the level of strategy and also how much training is required for relatively few actual incidents so that level of attention that's required all the time that you might never use is where to me sort of wargaming uh, strikes me as useful to the ep community as well as ep work is so potentially dangerous so being able to think it through, so mentally you get yourself in the right way of thinking, and then you drive the vehicle around the circuit, then you figure out firing angles and how you would uh, defend an asset, um, say just uh, transferring from their vehicle into a hotel lobby, that sort of thing. Being able to do that on a board, being able to think that through, like I say, five to 500 times. So when it actually happens, you've got EP practitioners, you've got experience of that in a, in a set of fictitious contexts can transfer that to the real world. To me, that's where it's useful rather than you have to spend so much money setting up like fake hotel lobbies or running real world exercises or getting everybody in the, just in the same physical space, regardless of pandemics the just the travel expenses and time and scheduling required do it all online over a shared say a Miro board or a concept board or something you can get people beyond that initial lack of knowledge in such a cheap and convenient way yeah no I think that's 
I agree with everything you said there. I mean, EP is, is a bit like insurance. The, the principal pays for this service. A lot of the time he, he won't need it, but when it's needed, yeah, you know, you need to have it's drilled it. yeah. the, the action that you're supposed to deliver if, if something goes wrong. Um, and, you know, you, you could be a, a bodyguard for seven, eight, nine years and nothing's ever happened in your whole career as a bodyguard. And if you become not sloppy, but, you know, you've gone so long without any incident, some people will get into that false sense of security and mindset. You know, it's mundane, day to day, nothing ever happens. And in that time that it does happen, you, you get caught out. So, as you've just said, you know, it's, it's it's a very low risk way of running through different scenarios and getting people's brains to stay sharp with different incidents and scenarios that may play out. I like it. All right. Well, every good uh, conversation has to come to a close, and I think that's a nice place to uh, to, to leave it. Um, Nick, I hope this is uh, you know good for you as 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 much as it is good for us because obviously we're benefiting from all your all your wargaming experience. Yeah, um, definitely. I, th I think obviously play sounds uh, unprofessional to maybe the untrained ear, but there's other ways of saying play um, that allow you to fail in a safe environment. And, uh, and 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 war game is absolutely something people should people should uh, consider. And I know already people are saying, "Oh, but I do it already in this way or that way." Well, all right, but there is a structured war gaming formula. There are professionals out there. Uh, Nick, of course, is one of them. And you know, I think that is where we can add value. So, from Sean and myself, Nick, it's been a pleasure having you on. And uh, yes, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Great, thank Take you care. very much. Well, I, I want to go and play some games now. Uh, I'm uh, back with uh, John Moss, and hopefully together we can draw a few lessons from this fascinating talk with Nick Drage. I think it's upon us to convince our communities that gamified learning, immersive learning, or you know, even the word play is an acceptable term. What, what do you think, John? Yeah, I thought this was a really great interview to have today. I didn't necessarily see it beforehand, uh, but then, you know, in our intro when we were talking about it, it was uh, it was questions were presenting themselves, and then listening to you guys unpack this topic, it made me realize that this is probably something we should be doing a lot more of, and you know, one of my concerns that we spoke about before the interview was really addressed and. I think this kind of culture of safe to fail or, or safer to fail, I, I was, it was good to hear Nick actually go back and kind of revise that with, you know, the safer to fail, understanding, showing that he understands the mm. kind of industry um, that we work in where perhaps it's not just okay to, to totally fail outright. And, uh, and also the, the, the kind of groupings that we run through these scenarios with. I think that's really important. It is, isn't it? And and people need a safe space to experiment. And, and you know, you could say, well, what new scenarios could come their way? Well, as we mentioned in the, in the podcast with uh, Nick, 
a pandemic, right? Um, and and also, you know, there's there's a lot of far flung black swan type uh, events, which do you know what? They would be an engaging uh, war gaming exercise. Um, yeah, all the way from uh, things that you might think are science fiction to some of the more likely things. But but I feel that those are natural candidates for war gaming. Um, obviously, we can't predict uh, the next crisis. A lot of people are talking about how do we prepare for the next crisis? Well, it's always preparing for the old, you know, the former war that you you know you're stuck into. But at least this is a relatively harmless way of achieving it. But obviously, we're going to see a lot more. Uh, from Nick and uh, and of course uh, James Bohr, who you know contributed to the magazine a lot. Um, but what else uh, do we have coming up? Because I, I I've got the feeling there are some exciting things, John. Well, something that's right on the agenda uh, coming up next week, in fact, is the International Security Expo, and the BBA is going to be there. The Circuit Magazine is going to be there, and. I believe we've also got something special happening on one of the evenings of the event. That's right. Absolutely. I'm conscious that people will be in town anyway uh, for the expo in Olympia. Um, we're going to have an informal, uh, but you no know, social get together between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. on Tuesday, the 28th. Uh, it's uh, basically just five minutes walk from Olympia. And, you know, it's, 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 well, weather permitting, we've got pagodas anyway, it's outside, it's, uh, it's lighthearted, it's a nice way to get back in touch, and specifically useful for community members who are already at the, uh, the ISC. So, so, so really looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one too. I mean, it's been a long time. I think um, the last time I was at an event, Pelham, was you you can probably tell me which one it was it was one of your events yeah and it must be two years ago now was that the uh the cyber ep uh convergence or it was the fifth annual ep tech forum january yeah. 2020 wow either either way we're going back uh some way and whilst this isn't on the same scale at least what, what's happened under the pagodas won't be uh, it'll be a great opportunity to see some familiar faces. Absolutely, because there are people that you know know us, of course, from before. There's 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 a strong community, strong listener community still there, but there will be new faces, and it will be great to meet you and to you know get get that more personal touch um, and 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 maybe persuade them face to face that they should contribute to the magazine. And yeah, and I know you created a segue there. However, I just wanted to say, just um, just when you were talking about new listeners, there it just made me realize that actually, you know, we started this podcast. This is episode thirty-seven. We started at the beginning of the year, and so this the last time we all met up, this this podcast didn't exist. Mm. Now we haven't seen people for a long time, but there's a lot of people who've been listening to us you know, every week. And I'm, I, I know that's obvious. And I'm not just, you know, taking a shot in the dark here, because I did, I was actually speaking to an, an ex colleague a few weeks ago, and I hadn't heard from him in, in quite some time. And if he's listening, that's James, uh, great guy. And he actually said, 
it, it's like you've never been gone because I listen to yourself and Sean every week. And that just blew my mind. That was the, that was the first time that I kind of realized uh, the, the impact of being on the podcast to me, it's just, you know, I turn up every week, I sit and have this great conversation with you and a guest. And it's so easy to think of it in, in those terms. So yeah, it's, it's going to be crazy to meet up with people who've been listening to us over this journey and, you know, to, to hopefully for, for the first time get some real world uh you know feedback some some hopefully some honest uh but not too scathing feedback indeed please please do um obviously it's 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 a safe space or a safer space as a wargaming exercise (laughs) (laughs) so um so please do that and of course please do contribute to the magazine um the isc will provide lots of fruitful content and angles for articles um I'm, I'm i'm sure of it because you know we haven't actually all met up at olympia for some time yeah that's 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 going to be a big a big mission of mine actually at when, when i go to the event is to uh start harvesting uh for upcoming issues we, we're actually in production now for issue 60 so if if there's probably still a couple of spaces in there so if anybody wants to get into a big landmark number like number 60 you know you've you've got probably a couple of weeks to get your submission across to us uh but if not yep there's plenty more coming after that love it i'll be there i'll have my recorder there so run away if you don't want to be recorded (laughs) and uh yeah absolutely we'll 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 see you at this informal you know no no pressure and just an informal get together 3 to 5 p.m uk time uh you know by kensington olympia i'll send you some details um and of course uh, you will see it on the bba connect app and the uh, nab app probably not because this is relating to a london event but absolutely love the content and love the uh discussions going on there oh and one thing i should say uh two of our industry friends at least are speaking at the ISE, and we're hoping to catch up with them uh miranda kapose and Ivor terrett uh, just a just a shout out so let's see if we can get them along to the uh, to the to the informal drinks they're not they're not officially coming i haven't really you know got any confirmation but at least we know they're next to at the ISE. perfect all right this week it's been wargaming thank you to nick drage and uh, from john and myself this has been another fantastic edition of the circuit magazine podcast we look forward to seeing you in person or at least some of you next week You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.